and then you know GPS started getting smaller and smaller and smaller and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And then you know we're, we're in a position, let's say, 20 years later, where many many people, billions of people, have a GPS receiver and a global map with you know navigation directions in their pockets. And you know I've seen some estimates which say that if you had to switch off GPS today, you're probably going to cause about a billion dollars of damage per day no. to the U.S. economy only just the US. And, and that's something that you know, 20 years ago was really more or less niche. And I think that there is the potential for the same thing to happen with satellite imagery. I've seen it happen with other parts of the geospatial industry already. So things will change more than you think. Hello and welcome to the New Space Vision podcast sponsored by LiveEO, where we discuss new space technology, finance and innovation with executives, founders and more exciting people from the startup and new space ecosystem. I'm Sven Shivara. And I'm Daniel Seidel. And together we are the founders of the Earth observation company LiveEO and New Space Vision. Today we have a guest, uh, which uh, I'm, I'm super happy that we can record the conversation. We had so many uh, discussions about the space ecosystem. It's Sean Witt, the CEO of the geospatial uh, data platform Up42. Um, and there was one story, like if, if we talk, we can't stop, right? So uh, there was a conference in Paris. Um, we were coincidentally in the same plane. And then we said, yeah, let's eat something. It was 9 p.m. in Paris. Um, it ended up uh, 3 a.m. with a lot of beers. And we just talked about the space ecosystem, right? It was really, really nice. And because of these things, I also know a secret door in a bar in Berlin. Also because we couldn't stop talking about space. I'm super happy that you're here, Sean. Exactly. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Sven. Thanks for having me. And, and, and lovely to be here in your new offices to, to record this in person. Uh, yeah, Daniel, it is difficult to stop talking about the space ecosystem with you. Uh, and uh, very happy I could share with you my secret whiskey, whiskey bar in, uh, in, in Berlin. So, yeah, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Nice. Uh, yeah, the first thing uh, what we would like to know from you is um, like you, becoming CEO of Up42 uh, was not a quick journey, right? You are a geospatial veteran. So can you walk us along uh, the, the, the career steps you made before? Sure. Uh, I mean, it, it did start quite a long time ago. Uh, in deciding what to study, I got the advice, you know, don't, don't get too deep into computers because it'll suck up all your time. So I decided that I was going to study land surveying so I could be outside more and away from the desk. Uh, after about six months at university, I realized that actually I really like computers and I really like what you could do with geospatial data and computer science and focused on those two things, bringing them together. Um, ended up specializing in computer science and, 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 um, and geomatics at the same time and uh, immediately went and started working on writing software to solve problems using geospatial data. In the beginning, um, it was working in the mining industry, both um, managing mining licenses for governments. Um, I was part of building a system that is now owned by, by Trimble uh, and is managing the, the, the mining cadastre system of, of many, many countries and many multinational mining companies. Um, and also actually managing the mining activities uh, and, and exploration activities of, of uh, primarily diamond mining at the time. Um, after a couple of years, I moved across to, to, to London and worked there um, for a company that eventually got bought by, uh, by, by MapInfo, uh, just before it got bought by Pitney Bowes, um, and was building software for local governments, um, mainly on top of the MapInfo uh, GIS stack. Um, 
I had a bit of a career break, which was then taking three years in Mozambique working as a diving instructor, which was really <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> I call it my practice retirement. But um, after that, I switched from the technical side of things when I moved to Berlin um, and started working for Here Technologies, moved more into the product management side of things. And, um, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been more focused on the business side. Uh, whether it's been on product management or strategy or business operations and things like that, and through various roles at Here Technologies, um, Navico, and, and now you know eventually landed in Up42. And I think um, what's really helped me in the role that I'm in now is having both the technical side as well as the business side and having the experience across different countries to be able to understand how to connect um, people with different backgrounds, whether it's a cultural background or a language background or a technical expertise background, um, kind of being the person in the middle to connect the dots is, is really what's helped me. And you know how to dive deeper in the mm -hmm. ecosystem. Yes, I think that helps as well, you know, being able to get into the details, but also have yeah. enough of an oversight of what's happening end to end. Yeah. yeah. So really interesting. So more than 20 years of experience in the geospatial space. And so what have you learned about the geospatial industry as such? How do you think it differs from other industries, right? Because I think it's it's very special, the, the geospatial it industry. Is. Yeah. Uh, it is. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned about the geospatial industry is it's not really an industry in its own right. And um, I mean, it is and it isn't. And, and the reason I say that is because, I mean, you pick any industry you like and there will be a strong use case for geospatial data or geospatial technology of some kind, with very few exceptions. Um, when I was uh, studying my master's back in Cape Town, one of the one of the big parts of that was really to look across uh, all industries and try to figure out like how you could use location-based services and cell phones. And, and I mean, that was prior to GPSs and cameras yeah. actually even being available on phones. And you start to see how deep you can go in geospatial technology and how much it can help all of the different industries. And I think this is the thing that people often um, misclassify geospatial as as its own uh, its own industry or on a standalone basis where actually it's not it's not, it's an enabler across yeah. pretty much every every single industry you can think of true, true. Uh, i absolutely agree and this is why i'm also so much excited not only about earth observation but general uh the the implementation of things which have a connection to geolocation in so many more industries because i think really there's so much untapped potential but uh, but you and up 42 I'm sure I absolutely agree with, with Danny and myself about this. Uh, maybe tell us, what is Up42? What are you doing there? Yeah, so Up42 is a, um, a geospatial marketplace and a developer platform. And the main purpose of the company is to help people to access geospatial data and to derive insights from, from, that, from that data at scale. Uh, what we've what we discovered when we were setting up the company was that um, there's you know there's a lot of data providers uh, there's a lot of people who can build really good algorithms uh, but typically the whole business and technical process of, of getting access to that data is very very fragmented so what we're trying to do is bring together all of the data onto one platform um, and bring together the processing capabilities onto one platform and to make it extremely easy for people um, to, to get access to whatever data they need, to process it easily at scale, and, and to be able to really have uh, one contact point to access this massive ecosystem of, of uh, geospatial capabilities. Um, we've started with a focus on um, Earth observation data, and that is quite simply because of where we've started as a company, as a, uh, as a corporate venture between uh, Airbus Defense and Space and Boston Consulting Group Digital Ventures. Obviously, Airbus is one of the major players in the Earth observation space. So the first focus for us was you know, trying to solve the problems that, that Airbus was seeing in general in the market when it came to how to 
you know, democratize access to Earth observation data and to tap into a latent, longer tail commercial market. Um, I mean, I think you guys have seen this as well. A lot of the larger companies are really not set up to deal with anything else other than government business, yeah. and it's very difficult Same. for them to, you know, start with a with a, with you know provide a startup with the first five hundred euros or thousand euros uh, and grow with them, you know, as as we've as we've done with you guys, um, and that's what we've been set up to do, you know, is to help it help it uh, help people to get started with Earth observation data more easily and scale. Yeah, just maybe. So you've mentioned you're um, allowing people to easy, to get easier access to data, to process data, and to be the the the, the first touch point, right? Are you also allowing companies which are building stuff on Up42 to monetize it as well? Yes, I think this is one of the one of the things that is different about Up42 in comparison to other companies. Um, we've taken a true marketplace approach to our platform. Um, if you look at You know, there's a lot of companies who are reselling data, uh, but there's there's no company other than Up42 that we're aware of that has a commercial setup with not only data, but also algorithms from third parties. So on Up42, for example, as a, as a user of Up42, you can come onto the platform, um, order data from one or many providers and push that through a processing pipeline, which might contain one algorithm from one company. It might contain three or four algorithms from different companies. It might contain your own algorithms because you can also upload your own algorithms on the platform um, and we have the the, the the mechanism to split the revenue that's coming in from that workflow across all of the different companies that are partaking in, in providing that technology um, and this is different you know the sort of um, micro transaction enabled uh, platform which can handle the smaller transactions, but obviously they all add up as more and more transactions are done. Um, the sort of very actionable, commercial-focused approach to the marketplace that we have is something that we don't see in, in other um, yeah, in, in other platforms at this point. Yeah. So you can just go to up42.com, uh, put in your credit card and get satellite imagery, right? That's how Correct. it should be. What I, what I found interesting is uh, when Airbus and BCG wanted to start a new data venture, they also talked to Sven and me. It was, uh, I think it was 2018. Um, and it was, I think, exactly the right spot um, to grasp uh, feedback from a company who wants to go into the earth observation industry. Because we also had struggles to buy data. We just wanted to have it. Um, and this is what I, what I really like about Up42 is the simplicity. Um, and um, what, what I would be uh, curious about to know is that uh, you're not only uh, selling Airbus data, right? So you're selling data from a variety of operators. And uh, how is it to work with all these operators out there? Uh, yes, I mean, this is correct. We are definitely not a, a, a platform or a marketplace that's only trying to sell the data from one company. You know, the mandate of our company right from the beginning is to be a neutral marketplace that brings together the entire industry's data and algorithms and capabilities. Um, and I think we're well on the way. Uh, we have now already, I think, 71, 72 partners that we've signed across the data and algorithm space. Um, not all of them are available on the platform yet. Obviously, there's a bit of a roadmap element into that. Uh, but of course, building up this book of partnerships of 72 uh, of some of the largest companies in the industry has been a lot of hard work. And we've yeah. certainly learned <laughs> Uh, learned a lot along the way about you know what companies care about, how they work, how the the legal setup work, how the contractual setup works, uh, all of the export control, know your customer things, and I think this is where other companies that are maybe starting the journey in trying to be an aggregator 
uh, might find it difficult after a while because it's relatively easy to integrate, you know, one or two APIs and say, hey, I've got a platform. Yeah. But to take care of it across you know, 70, 72 providers, across algorithms and data, across you know, satellite imagery, uh, whether it's optical or radar and aerial imagery and all kinds of other data as well, um, dealing with all of these compliance restrictions and, 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 and access restrictions across different data sets. Because, of course, as you know, um, you know, different data sets have got different requirements in terms of uh, the compliance yeah. checks that need to be done. And industrializing this process over so many providers was difficult, uh, but I think it's put us in a position now where what we've done is pretty hard to 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 copy. Actually. And it takes yeah. the pain away uh, from companies such yeah. as LiveView and also all the others who want to uh, build a solution on top. Um, what I'm curious about, because you said there are a lot of reseller who not really add value to the data, right? Um, I'm curious uh, what for you today is the bigger part. Is it um, uh, access to the data or analytics? And how do you think uh, it will evolve in the next uh, five to ten years? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think what we've learned in the last four years since we started the company um, has kind of shaped the, the way we're approaching the platform as well. Uh, you know, what we what we originally thought was archive data off the shelf plus algorithms uh, off the shelf will solve everyone's problems, right? And and that was, you know, perhaps you know, wishful thinking in the beginning. We thought the same. So it's maybe it's maybe a pattern there. Exactly. Yeah. But it's we've we've made some good learnings, right? One of the first learnings that we had was that um, you know archive data is fantastic and when it's available, great. It's awesome. And we use it as much as we can and you know our, our customers uh, do as well. But the reality is in many use cases tasking is way more valuable. So we've put a lot more effort now on the tasking side. We, we've got the archive parts in place. Um, and over the last year, we've been focusing very strongly on our tasking platform, trying to make sure that we can um, push all tasking orders through our platform, that all communication with our customer goes through the platform, rather than the traditional way of doing tasking, which I'm sure you have the experience yeah. with, is everything via email, things get lost, you know, it, it's, it's a bit problematic. So consolidating all of the tasking across multiple providers um, into one tasking platform has been one big development that we've had. Um, the second one uh, is in, in terms of you know, our initial, initial approach of you know, data blocks, etc. And just having you know, a Kubernetes container accessing some archive and bringing the data in, etc. That, that, that works when the data is there. Um, but as soon as you need to do um, some, some warm-up from cold storage or if it needs to be processed first or if it needs to be tasked, then the sort of asynchronous part is missing. So we've moved more towards an asynchronous ordering platform approach where we are able to integrate automatically with those providers that have a data platform that can be used by API. Yeah. Um, and where there is no API yet, then we're still able to handle it behind the scenes manually. But for our customers, it's still all via API and still all via the platform. And I think this, from a customer perspective, trying to take the human out the loop as much as possible, and then behind the scenes, progressively taking human out the loop as much as we can is, is, is a big learning. The second one was um, on the uh, on, on the value add side is on the analytics, right? And, mm -hmm. and analytics is something where it's extremely important long term. But what we figured out is that the first step for providing value on top of the data from an analytics perspective uh, is, is not necessarily, you know, the end algorithm. Companies such as yeah. Livio and many of our other customers, they are the experts at those algorithms. Um, what they really want, and and uh, you know we've had those discussions many times as well, is when we're providing data to the customers from multiple sources, you want it to enter into the same process and pipeline on your side. 
So that more implies analytics-ready data um, across multiple providers, at least getting to the point where the formats are the same, um, the georeferencing is the same, and it can be pumped through the same pipeline as easily as possible. So those are the, the sort of two areas that we're, we're, we're focusing on and where maybe we've sort of switched the, 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 the paradigm a little bit or the focus a little bit. Um, longer term, you know, having, having a lot of analytics on the platform, I think, is still very valuable, extremely valuable. It helps people to put together proof of concepts and prove out their use cases very, very quickly. Um, the, re the reality is, I think, is that if you start getting into an operational use case, um, you're probably going to want to tweak that algorithm and, and retrain it specifically for, for that use case if you really want to scale it up. Yeah, and I, and I think to that point, um, oftentimes it's underestimated the difference between running a POC, which is great to really proving the point, Correct. and then putting that into production, right? It's, it's two different worlds. And Elon Musk said about like, building a car plan it's a thousand times or i don't know ten thousand times more difficult than uh, building one individual car and i would say the same is true for <laughs> analyzing geospatial data on scale yes. uh, on production it's it's uh, exactly like this and i also think uh, one of the biggest misconceptions of people um, who join uh, the earth observation industry and want to build applications is uh, actually using archives um, because i think um, it's it's it seems to be very simple. Ah, there's satellite data, it's in an archive, I, I just use it, uh, I downloaded the API and I built my application on top of it. And I think the same happened for us in 2020, so after two, three years, that we realized, hmm, yeah, we have a product, but we don't have the data, so we have to task. We have to do the logistics of the data together with you guys. So um, I know, I remember we had a workshop together with you uh, more than a year ago um, and we said hey let's automate the tasking process why do we have to uh, send emails etc and also every operator has a different process for tasking the data um, and you just launched the tasking platform a few months ago so what do you think how big is this i think the tasking platform for us is very big uh, um, we are we are currently at the point where we're, we're nearly at the point where absolutely end-to-end -end, the full life cycle of every tasking request can can go through the platform um, and we're also working very hard on establishing what a stack like uh, standard would look like in terms of ordering tasking data as well um, and we've, we've we've sent some of our people over to the us recently to participate in in a, in a sort of um, stack workshop to try and look at what what a stack tasking api would look like we've run um, api sprints internally recently to also look at okay Here's the, the full workflow across um, Maxar, Planet, Airbus, you know, Satellogic, Black Sky, etc. How do we make that into one API, including not only the feasibility studies, but also, um, you know, there are some there are some operators that allow you to really select the 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 cap the, the capture slots or the, the opportunity on a yeah. on a pass basis, right? And and really to understand how to map you know, when you think about a stack search. And that's the availability of, of the of the existing archive data. There's a, there's an analogy also when it comes to the tasking, where searching for that tasking opportunity uh, within a given window uh, mm. is, is kind of the search results, right? And so how to how to build that in um, when there's such variability across all of the different providers and and such yeah. differences in the, in the processes of all the providers. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good idea on that. And uh, when that gets into the platform as well, I think it's going to really change the game on the tasking There side. is basically no standardization currently, right? Correct. And Correct. Uh, I mean, also shout out to our friends from Element 84, uh, which uh, independently talked to you guys and to us yeah. to build a standard for the industry, right? And this is also one of the things which surprised me every day 
Uh, it's us, it's Up42, it's the live EOS who built now the standard of the ecosystem. There is no standard, it's all pretty new. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by LiveEO. LiveEO's mission is to unlock the full potential of Earth observation data for humanity and life on Earth through AI. We are the global market leader in infrastructure monitoring and are bringing the power of satellite data analytics to other industries globally. Talk to us to find out how satellite data can benefit you and your company via podcast at live-eo.com. Pretty new, yeah. Yeah. But uh, on a different on a different side, so you're you're on the one hand side having all the data supplies and all the providers of analytical yeah pieces and capabilities on your platform. On the opposite side, you need developers, right? So you have a classical platform and with that a classical chicken and egg problem of some sort, right? That you need the developers to provide revenue streams for the suppliers. Uh, how have you um, tackled that problem? How have you overcome the, the chicken and the egg problem? I'm not sure we've fully overcome it yet, but we're well on the way. Um, I think for us, the, the important part was make sure that you've got a good starting point. Um, and the good starting point for us was grabbing companies like LiveEO, uh, who are really at the beginning of their journey and they're needing that entry point, they're needing that one-stop shop for data, they're building their stack from the beginning. And so it was there was no switching cost for them yeah. to build a dependency on Up42. Um, having had that basis or foundation of, uh, let's say, younger companies, startups, etc., um, we're now starting to move across into you know left and right uh, on, on the first key to the, to the, to, to the left, sort of a bit up the stack, uh, we're talking to more and more large companies. I think this is one of the most exciting things with Up42 is that when we started the company, we were very, very sure that our addressable market was primarily sort of longer tail commercial. Yeah. Um, and now what, we, what we're noticing more and more is that what we've built is equally relevant for the larger companies that are traditionally buying uh, satellite imagery. So we have, we have some really great discussions with, uh, with, with very large companies, which I'm not going to name at the moment, um, but we've had a couple of ones that have closed and have been quite well publicized, like uh, Kaffee in, in Germany, um, big uh, development bank, etc. Um, and um, you know, we've been supporting uh, Gits as well uh, with yeah. some of the developments that they have to support the, the the adoption of Earth observation to solve agricultural problems in, in Africa through through startup incubation. So we're kind of pushing, you know, a little bit towards startup on one side, uh, or more or sort of longer tail on one side, and to larger companies on the other side. What I think is going to be important for this is also the approach that we have to uh, integrating with ecosystems. Yeah. Um, so we've recently launched uh, our plugin for ArcGIS. Yeah. Seen that. Where essentially. It brings in an entirely new sort of user interface for Up42. So right from within the ArcGIS environment, you're able to you know search through the data you already ordered, um, or you know search through the archives, order new data, place a task request, things like that, and basically bring that stuff directly into your ArcGIS environment um, and and actually work with that data, analyze that data, use all of the the spatial analysis tools that are built into ArcGIS. Um, and what we're starting to find is that's opening up discussions with uh, you know, a longer tail of, of analysts, yeah. as well as larger companies who 100%. have their entire stack based on Esri technology. Yeah, Esri is definitely uh, a huge, huge enabler of this. We've just uh, also launched our Esri plugin, so our, our Esri integration of LiveEOS um, analytical capabilities. And obviously, um, I think like the, the the aim is the same. We're trying to to allow other people, which are already very familiar with ArcGIS and the Esri suite, to to use that. So 
when I understand it correctly, you're targeting um, SMBs, startups with marketing, and you have big accounts which you're going after with account executives. Correct. Okay. Correct. That's 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 kind of the approach that we have. Um, I mean, we, we're we're balancing it across you know, key accounts, um, outbound, um, inbound, digital marketing. There's sort of a, a balance across all different acquisition channels, um, and we are we're starting to really look at uh, at, at, at ecosystem channels in a, in a different light as well. You know, so we're working uh, we're working with quite a couple of partners who have their own ecosystems already established with their own sort of developer. Uh, communities and really starting to look at how we integrate and support those better. So, for example, we've recently announced our, our partnership with uh, with uh, with Google. So we're part of the Google Cloud nice. Partner Program, um, where we've been selected also as one of the sustainability one of the partners in the sustainability program. And along with that comes, you know, how do we integrate Up42 better with the Google ecosystem? Um, how do we make it possible for Google developers to you know be able to purchase Up42 credits and and bring data directly into their own uh, development environments uh, on, on, on GCP. So there's a lot of discussions going on there. You know, how do we how do we integrate better with Google Earth Engine and those kinds of things um, where I think we're going to be um, putting quite a lot of effort into these these ecosystem integrations such as Google and, and Esri going forward as well. Yep. Again, to try and help to to solve this chicken and egg problem. Um, that's been the number one thing that's concerned us since the beginning, you know, is that this is a, the the kind of business that we have, uh, the kind of platform that we have, and the sort of marketplace that you look across all industries. Any platform or marketplace always has this problem of scale. Yes. Um, and for us, you know, we've got scale now on the on, on the supplier side. Um, we've got pretty good traction on the customer side as well. But now we have to really push on the customer side to grow that up to the point where it's long term sustainable. Yeah. So it's a very diverse uh, uh, customer uh, or um, yeah or customer segments actually you are tackling. Um, I would be curious if there is a customer segment which didn't work well in the past and which you would love to, to have more on your platform. I'm not sure if it's one that hasn't worked well, but maybe 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 it's just a question of how much effort we've put into it so mm. far, right? So I think there's the, the area where, where we'd like to start moving more. So far, everything we've done and, and the, the, the ramp up that we've had, you know, double, tripling revenue every year, mm. et cetera, has been in a non-traditional part of the market. So addressing basically the commercial long tail. And as you, as we know, like most of the industry is focused on you know, government and defense and it's focused on like large commercial. Um, and I think where we would like to, where we would like to get more traction is in, not necessarily on the defense and intelligence side, but sort of FedServe and um, institutional um, tenders and things like that where It's been difficult for us to start with that because we've got a very strong policy that we don't want to go and, for example, apply for a, a tender from um, from a from a government institution that deviates us from our core strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, and there hasn't been so many of these that actually fit uh, the, the the direction of the company and the direction of our product. This is starting to change. Uh, we're starting to see more and more government tenders or ESA tenders coming out that have a very strong uh, overlap with the direction that we want to take up 42 in. Uh, and I think this is an area where we want to put a little bit more focus on in the future is trying to um, trying to serve the needs of, of you know, the, the public institutions as well. Yeah, that uh, totally makes sense. But what I found interesting is that uh, it's still now the traditional players um, and, and startups like Lifeo with uh, experts from geospatial and remote sensing uh, who, who are your 
first customer group. And I think it's totally reasonable. There is, uh, there are budgets. Um, there, there is a need. There are existing users which you have to tackle. But I know from our past discussions that your your vision and uh, what what you think we can achieve here in this uh, in this industry is reaching people which are completely outside of geospatial, which don't have existing problems to tackle where you optimize. Um, so what about these um, uh, like developers uh, who have no idea about Earth observation data? I think today they don't really, uh, they, they are not really there, right? Not really creating revenue traction. But um, why do you see, is this the case and how will it change in the future? Look, I think, I think probably the, there's the two reasons for that is firstly that, you know, the first reason is the, is the reason, the same reason why a 42 was created in the first place. It's not old, uh, it's not new technology, satellite imagery has been around for a long time, etc. But it's been very difficult to access. Mm -hmm. It's been very expensive. Um, it's been a lot of compliance and it's very difficult to get access to the stuff. So I think there's a natural barrier to entry there that has previously existed. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that I think there's just pretty much unrealistic expectations about what's possible. So there's, a, there's an education <laughs> element to it. That's a good point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people people are watching um, Hollywood um, movies or, or, or series or something like this. And then they, they they have this perspective that the entire world has got super high resolution yeah. HD video from space all the time. Real time. Yeah. So we get we get a lot of requests from people who, hey, you know, my dog went missing. Can you can you show, can you show me a video of my front yard You know, between these two hours? Um, or, you know, can you use radar data to automatically pilot my commercial vessel into the harbor you know like things like this which are just completely unrealistic and i think there's there's two things that need to happen to fix this right one is there's a there's a, a responsibility of the industry to make information about satellite imagery about earth observation more accessible um, so that it becomes clearer what's possible what's not possible what it takes to to, to process it etc so from a technical perspective and just make it more accessible um, and then on the other hand, I think what's necessary is that you have enough volume from the various providers that are around that the use cases that were previously either too expensive or not possible because the, the data wasn't there yeah. more frequently enough, um, that they then become possible. Uh, and only then when you have the combination of these two things, um, you know, enablement of, a, of a, a, a much wider range of use cases plus a better understanding of the long-term market about what's possible, then you're going to see some, uh, some, some better traction in the long-term market. We're doing quite a lot in terms of um, educating uh, in general. We put a lot of work into, into content generation, trying to, trying to talk about Earth observation in, um, you know, towards you know, everyday people or, or developers who are not necessarily experts in the field. Um, but it's a long-term thing, and it's something that not one company can do on their own. I think there's a lot of uh, sort of shared responsibility the industry has for this education part of it. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. I use a lot of the materials which you're putting out to educate, for example, also investors and other stakeholders about the space. It's like on the examples of what you said of unrealistic expectation, I was once asked by a board member of a big German uh, company making billions uh, about like whether satellite data couldn't identify the water flow in front of a turbine underwater. Well, the answer had to be no, unfortunately. But yeah, exactly. These are sometimes the questions you're being 
uh, confronted with. So it's really important to educate the market. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is basically based on today's prices and uh, and capacity and capability, right? I mean, the case you mentioned will never be possible. But there are a lot of lot of cases where um, theoretically it's possible, but it's, it's too expensive. And now in the past years there was so much uh, venture capital invested into the hardware. So. Um, price and capacity are the drivers here to to reach new use cases, right? And I would like to hear your opinion because you talk, uh, you are at the source, right? You see all these new um, operators. Um, how big is this re like, like this growth on the supply side, the capacity, and the prices? Ooh, that's a good one. So, um, look, there is definitely an increase in capacity. So far, though, we've seen more of it on paper than we have seen it actually translate into operational um, satellites that are delivering data. It's happening. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've, we've added dozens of satellites over the last uh, 12 months or so, or, yeah, 12, six to 12 months. Um, and there's new ones coming all the time. I mean, there's the recent SpaceX launch putting another 112, I think it yeah. was. Uh, so it's, it's happening, right? Um, but I think there's still a big gap between what has been promised by the, the industry in general versus what's actually being put up into space. Um, so I think that's that's only one part of it though, right? Um, there is It's not enough to have satellites in space that are delivering data. You also need on the ground the mechanisms for people to be able to access that at scale. And I don't think all of the companies out there are investing enough in their data platforms. Yeah, uh, in their, in their API, in their APIs, in yeah. their ability to take the human out of the loop through the entire ordering process. Um, I mean, you have you have some companies that have started with that, and you know they've had a fully functioning data platform and API and everything in place before they even had a satellite up, um, and now basically they can just feed the data platform, and that's great. Um, and can make revenue directly from the uh, from the capital expenditure they've made, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it can scale very well. Whereas you have others that have you know focused on satellites only, and then all the data ordering is via email, and, and it's hard to scale that. It's very hard to scale that. So I think I think we would you know there's still a gap to to the full capabilities or full capacities that are that are promised, um, and and there's still a big gap on the on the actual system side of things on the ground in terms of delivering data really fast and at, 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 at high quality. Um, but look, I think it's going to happen. I mean, I've, one of the one of the big learnings I've had in in um, geospatial as well, and and I think I'll use maybe GPS and mapping in general as the as the analogy. Things will change more than you think. Maybe not as fast as you think initially, but they'll change more than you think. So when I started studying, um, you know, one of the things we had to do was resurvey a trig network um, on uh, one of one of the um, one of the field trips and. I remember carrying a GPS receiver like up the mountain on, in a backpack, two car batteries to power this thing, eight hours of collection to be able to get an accurate reading because there was still selective availability switched on um, on, on, the, on, the, uh, on, on the GPS constellation. And then you had selective availability switched off and it got more accurate and the use cases got better. And then, you know, GPS started getting smaller and smaller and smaller and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And then, you know, we're, we're in a position, you know, let's say 20 years later where almost, well, maybe not almost everyone, but many, many people, billions of people have a GPS receiver and a global map with you know, navigation directions in their pockets. And you know, the, I've seen some estimates which, which say that if you had to switch off GPS today, you're probably gonna cause about a billion dollars of damage per day yeah. to the US economy only, just the US. Mm. So, and, and that's, that's something that you know, 20 years ago was really you know, more or less niche. And I think that the, the, there is the potential for the same thing to happen 
um, with, with satellite imagery. I've seen it happen with other parts of the geospatial in, uh, industry already. Um, and there is the potential for it to happen on, on satellite imagery. I think there's, if we're able to get the, in general, the, 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 the supply up um, and, and a bit more reliability on, on um, coverage and, and unlocking more use cases through a little bit more affordability and some of the things, particularly on the archive side, I think as well, um, archive, I believe, is still too expensive. Um, then I think there's going to be a, a real multiplication of, of the impact it can have. Yeah, yeah. But, but also tasking is too expensive still. And uh, for me, there, there will be a tipping point where uh, just the cost. Um, uh, so basically, you have so much uh, archive data that the cost for a small asset and also the quality of the data resolution, etc. Is, uh, is just um, enabling the new use cases um, for also for the B2C market, for example. Right? We don't see B2C today, not, not, not really serious. Um, and, um, but it will take some time and we need more patience, right? Yeah. I think so. I mean, look, in the meantime, there are some use cases which are still exploding. Uh, I think the one that, that you guys address is, um, is definitely uh, one of the, the, the most exciting use cases that I, that I see in the market right now. Uh, I mean, it's perfect, right? It's, it's perfect because I mean, there are pretty much um, electricity networks and, and uh, railway networks in, in every single country. Yeah, uh, and the vegetation grows back every single year. You know, in so every single country. In yeah. every single country, and, mm -hmm. and this this means that it's it's really a, a very important use case for not only driving um, the the supply and, and and the way that the industry works, but also making sure that we have a sustainable uh, business ecosystem ar around uh, commercial satellite imagery. And I think it's uh, it's I think you know, so far we're, we're only scratching the surface on this one. Yeah, absolutely agree, and I think like. Uh, climate change will have such an impact on all the um, outside worlds and everything which is being outside, everything which can be monitored from satellites, that the demand will further increase as well. And so, so that's definitely also one of the reasons why, why Danny and I are, are bullish that satellite data will have so much positive impact on so many areas and industries. Hey listeners, we have a very short break because we have an exciting one minute startup pitch from Set.io. Even though satellites are in space, far away from ground and operations, everything belongs to one system. At ZIO, we have experienced this missing approach while building and operating the Satellite Flying Laptop from the Institute of Space Systems at the University of Stuttgart. We have discovered that it requires a holistic approach with a minimum of integration effort to fulfill the need of current and future satellite missions. Now, you might ask yourself, how are we going to achieve this? Sharing resources and using the same design paradigms for all our solutions guarantee a holistic approach and tools that work seamlessly together. Our tool suite, which includes innovative software tools for system modeling, testing, operations and applications, targets the space segment as well as the ground segment, providing added value along the value chain to our customers. If you have your own space company or space project which you would like to pitch, feel free to reach out to us at our email podcast at newspace.vision with a one-minute elevator pitch video or audio which we will include in our next podcast. That's definitely also one of the reasons why, why Danny and I are, are bullish that satellite data will have so much positive impact on so many areas and industries. Um, now, um, maybe to one of the topics which is 
kind of more critical, right? Because I think we all, and not only we three people here in this room, believe that the Earth Observation Ecosystem is growing and a big uh, opportunity, but there are also other companies out there, right? Um, some would call them competition, some would call them markets, um, yeah, maybe other players in the market. Who do you see as competition and how do you differ from them? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's it's a bit of a strange one because when we look at when we look at up forty two, I don't think there's a company that that we compete with directly across all aspects of what we're doing. Um, if we look at, for example, the data side, you know, then we'll we'll look and say, okay, you know, maybe there's um, um, Skywatch as as a potential, or um, you know, maybe some up and coming companies like Skyfire or something like that that's really looking more on the data side. Um, but the truth is, we don't necessarily come up against those companies when we're talking to customers. No. Um, when we're talking to customers, most of the time we're coming up against directly the discussions that they may be having with the, with the data providers themselves, um, more than actually the, the, um, the other companies that are, that are 42 shaped. Um, so I think what this indicates to me is that there's still a lot of room for growth in the industry because obviously they're talking to customers as well. Yeah. Um, and, and we're talking to customers and for the most part, we're not talking to the same customers at all. You know, and I think this is a, this is a positive thing uh, in terms of, in terms of whether it's competition or collaboration. Um, honestly, I think there's space for both. You know, I, I like the fact that there's companies out there who are, uh, who are doing similar things to up 42. I mean, we watch them really closely and when they start doing things that, that we, uh, uh, that that we that we that we like, you know, we take notice, and it keeps yeah. us on our toes. Um, I think it's healthy for the industry. I think it's healthy for 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 any any industry and for any company to have to have solid competition. Um, at the same time, um, I think there's a lot of room for for collaboration as well. I mean, for a lot of the companies that you would think are potentially um, competitors of Up Forty Two, we are talking to them, and we're trying to figure out a way to collaborate and to to sort of jointly grow the market. What's great is that most of these companies. Um, have the same mindset that 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 we do uh, in terms of you know the the belief in Earth observation as a as, as an important factor in helping to have positive impact in the world um, and the belief that this can only happen if the industry is working together and collaborating in a better way and that's the whole purpose of Up Forty Two right is to help generate an environment to help to create an environment that fosters collaboration and innovation in the industry rather than sort of segment things. Um, and with the spirits in mind, uh, I think there's a lot of room for collaboration and I think we're just starting on that one as well. Yeah, I, I see a lot of collaboration, uh, I think way more than in other industries. And I think the reason for this is that the ecosystem is extremely complex. The value chain is extremely complex. You have so many parts here. And even if you focus on one, one, one small thing, um, it, it will be big in the future. And it's more like I have the feeling, um, oh, we have all these problems. Uh, you take this one, uh, I will take this one. Uh, can someone please take that one? We don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, we want to focus on this one. Um, uh, so, so this is how it is, right? Yeah. And um, I, I would like to be curious, like how big do you think uh, Up42 can be? Um, I mean, today you have your focus. Maybe you will tackle some more things in the future. Um. Okay, so I want to make a comment on the, on the yeah. first thing. Like when you talk about a complex value chain, like I've never seen a more complex value chain in any industry uh, or been exposed or heard of one. I mean, if you think about everything that has to happen to building the launcher and the satellites and all the electronics, I mean, I've even seen companies specialized in cable ties for space applications. I mean, it's, it's mm. insane how complex it is, right? And that's just to get the things up there. Then there's the whole ground segment and the communications and... and, and, and 
you know, the data platforms on the provider side. And only then you get to the point where Up42 can do something, right? Uh, and then on top of that, there's everything that happens downstream. Um, for example, what, what Liveio is doing in terms of really integrating into the end customer's um, systems and, and operations to really make the difference on the ground. It's extremely long. And, and I think it's important to know what your, what your role is in the, in the value chain and really be good at that thing. Yeah. Uh, because I think if, you're, if, if companies start to try to do too many different things, um, they're going to end up spreading themselves too thin and not do a good job in any one of them. As well, from an Up42 perspective, we're pretty adamant that our role is as a horizontal aggregator, an abstraction layer between you know, people who need to use the data and, and, and get insights from the data versus people who are providing the data. And that's where we're, we're going to stay. I mean, there's no way that we can also, for example, build solutions. Uh, I mean, mm. first of all, you know, we'd start competing with our customers and that's <laughs> never a good thing, but also it's just too complex. I mean, the amount of, it's a different, uh, different go-to-market process, different technology, different market knowledge. Uh, it's, it's just too difficult. Yeah, and I also think it shows that the industry matures as, as such, right? In the automotive industry, you would have um, hundreds of different suppliers providing, building a car and it wouldn't be the car manufacturer or I don't know, the the, the company which produces the ore to build cars, right? It's a very sophisticated supply chain. And we see the same uh, developing right now in the Earth observation and in the wider geospatial ecosystem. Uh, but to the second question, how, how yeah. big can Up42 so, become? So the second question, the second question um, I wasn't dodging it, I was getting there. Um, <laughs> so the second question is, look, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an Earth observation guy, right? My, most of my career until I joined Up42 has been in the broader geospatial um, market or industry and, and looking at how geospatial data in general can, can play a role. Now, if you look at the size of Earth observation, right, I mean, depending on which industry analyst you're looking at or reading, you know, you're looking at something that's in the order of magnitude of eight to 10 billion, including all of the, um, the, 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 the government and defense and intelligence business, et cetera. If you look at the, the overall geospatial market, you're looking at something that's more like 200 billion. Right? It's much, much larger. And where I see, I see Up42 being some, a company that can do very, very well and grow very, very well within Earth observation. But I see that there's a, an adjacent opportunity for accelerated growth, uh, also more broadly in, in the geospatial market. More and more we see companies that are traditionally using ge uh, Earth observation data also needing AIS data yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, or weather data or whatever the case may be to solve their use case. More and more we're seeing people who are traditionally using other kinds of geospatial data, um, you know, buying aerial imagery through Up42 and then, or, then augmenting it with, with, with satellite data. So there's this like fusion of, of uh, or cross-selling between the traditional Earth observation and, and the broader geospatial market. And we're well positioned to be a, a marketplace and a platform that can actually bridge that divide. Yeah. Um, and as a result, I think so far we're on, on a good track. Yeah. And I think also um, uh, th that's why we also use data from multiple operators already today. Uh, one data set typically does not solve the problem, so you want to merge it. And I mean, there is uh, terrestrial, uh, aerial and in situ, like these three categories, right? And today um, you don't have in situ measurements on R42, but why not, right? If someone wants to build an application combining Earth observation data from satellites with in situ measurements, yeah, that's how you do it, right? Yeah, for us, it's not a question of if we can do it, if we can't do it. It's a question of focus right now. Exactly. Um, so we, we have dozens of companies that have reached out to us with you know human movement data, traffic data. Um, we've had discussions with many of the large providers of these data sources already. Um, 
it's just not the right time to do that yet. You know, we still have quite a lot of work to do to onboard and and fully get operational all of the 72 partners that we've signed already. Mm. Uh, each of these partners, they also have their own roadmaps with you know changing technology, new satellites, new data sources, etc. So there's there's a bit of a of a, of a focus on Earth observation um, right now in aerial imagery right now, uh, and as soon as we've gotten to the point where we feel we're sort of 80% done on that, then we'll start looking at expanding more into other um, into other data sources. But we've had a, a good start on AIS data, weather data, yeah. um, aerial imagery, uh, and, and you know the, the the part of the business that's already providing yeah. those kinds of um, data sources to our customers is, is also growing quite well. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about all these data sources, which you've just described, the most of them is that they are very horizontal, right? They can be used in many, many different industries. And some of these in situ, in situ data sources are very specific to one specific thing or one specific um, yeah, domain, while Earth observation data or aerial data or weather data is needed for, for, for a lot of industries. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also one, one chicken and egg problem is, uh, you mentioned it, uh, you, you talked about GPS, and when you uh, and you mentioned market uh, assessments for Earth observation, and I think if you go back 20 years uh, and asked analysts, hey, what is the market for GPS? Uh, yeah, it's uh, some boats, right? And then it completely crashed uh, everything. And I think it's also the same for Earth observation. The problem now is that the funding is uh, in, in the software part of the ecosystem is extremely small compared to the hardware investments. And think about um, where the value is, uh, is created for really the end user. Uh, it's in the software. So it's a really big problem to tackle with not a lot of funding yet. But we see also a change here in the thoughts of investors, right? So it's just going to be the next thing. Yeah. I think it's the natural order of things as well, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you yeah. need to have the infrastructure of yeah. the constellations providing the data before you can start focusing on really expanding on the application side. I mean, of course, there's a lot of stuff happening on the application side as well. Uh, what we see, though, is that the majority of the of the uh, public funding for for um, applications is, is really all about using open data and it's not really using commercial data mm. yet, where I think the potential for commercial data to have an impact is far, far higher. Yeah. Um, the difference, though, is that what, when, we, when you look at applications for open data, it's sort of very large scale, you know, trends at a, at a high level and, and of course it's extremely important but where on the commercial data side it's more about like a very specific use case for very specific infrastructure or very specific construction sites and i think there naturally you start to tend towards more high value use cases and the more we can look at solving problems in, in these kinds of scenarios um, i think the quicker the quicker investors are going to start seeing that there's value in it and start yeah. investing in that part of the value chain as well 100 percent Helping to answer the the question, what's in for me as a as a as a buying persona, really helps to sell satellite data and sell uh, applications through it. Um, and we we're going towards the end of the podcast, so um, maybe maybe something outside of the the, the question about Up Forty Two and what you're doing. Yeah. So on our journey to share our adventure in the uh, space ecosystem, uh, we want uh, to talk to more people in the podcast. So we ask our guests always at the end: Is there a specific person you want us to talk to in the podcast? Oh, um, potentially maybe someone. Have you spoken to someone from Capella yet on the on the podcast? Uh, in February, we will have um, Payamon on the okay. podcast. Yeah, because because uh, so. there is because there I think the you know this is one of the companies that has started with a very strong data platform. Yeah, agree. Uh, and and 
it's a different approach to what we've seen from from others, and I and I think it's going to serve them very well uh, in in terms of the uh, the approach that they have. So that that for me is an interesting perspective. So um, we should talk to Payam. We yeah, will talk so to Payam, uh, the CEO of Capella, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, happy uh, that, you, that you joined us today. Sean, the hour is, uh, is over, or close to an hour. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for all these insights. Yeah. Daniel Sven, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and thanks to the listeners for tuning in again. Please make sure to follow us on all these uh, social media channels and exactly tune in for the next time. Thank you very much. All right, uh, lift off and the clock is started. Liftoff, we have a liftoff.